Shut up and sit down. I'm Dr. Corbin Weaver, an OB-GYN resident. I'm Dr. Katie Wyatt, and I'm one too. And I'm Dave Etler, their pod father. And, and we, we are, are the Vagabonds. Three friends venturing through the world of feminism and healthcare for women, babies, and people of all kinds. We don't give medical advice, and we don't speak for anyone other than ourselves. We're just recording conversations we'd be having in bars anyway. Today, we're talking about female infertility. I didn't yay this time. <laughs> <laughs> Woo! Woo! Uh, um, here we are, guys. Um, so, yeah. So, today we're talking about female infertility. Uh, what do you guys know about female infertility? Here's um, what I means. know. When Okay, Dave, go first. When well, I'm going to mansplain this. Okay, yeah, please perfect. mansplain female infertility to us. When the ladies can't have babies... Uh-huh. They That's get it. they they get they it's can be very sad and very stressful and very unfortunate and that's what I know. Yep. Usually has something that's to do. It. Usually has something to do with eggs. Yep. Could have something. There it to, is. End of podcast. Could, We're done. Could have something to do with hormones. Uh yeah, hormones can be involved sometimes. Yeah. Could have something to do with uh with uh, structural issues. Yep. And Dave, you're killing it. Uh, and, uh, yeah, I, I think, I think I've covered the waterfront, right? Sorry, did I yeah. miss one? I mean, well, actually 50% of female infertility is male factor. Did you know That's that? That's not female infertility. Yeah. Then. Wouldn't that be Did male? I say female infertility? Yeah. That's oh, sorry. My brain's dead. Um, <laughs> one week of residency and my brain is dead, guys. My, one of my attendings calls it intern brain. It's like pregnancy brain. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's a real thing. Mm-hmm. Um, that's the struggle is real though with like that learning curve, man. The struggle is real. Yeah. Mainly it's because you have to feel learn how to do administrative things while you're also learning how to be a doctor. But also like learning where the bathrooms are. Yeah, while also learning where the bathrooms are. I've or, gotten lost in the hospital seven times this week. Or you could just hold it like you're me. <laughs> <laughs> I can't. They should have auxiliary <laughs> bladders to be implanted into interns. How about yeah. that? Yeah. Mm-hmm. That would be useful. Then they'd probably add an extra hour to our duty hours. <laughs> that like, was a thing. Wasn't that a thing in like surgery residencies that like back in the day that they would just like put Foley's in themselves? I mean, that was the joke. I don't know how real it was. Maybe it is real. I have no I idea. Either. Anyway. Um, anyway. So back to the real topic. So yeah, actually 50% of infertility in general is male factor. Hmm. Um, so we're talking about the 50% that is female factor infertility. Um, and I'm talking about this today actually because I had a person who I know, uh, told me about that they froze their eggs. Right. And yeah. And, um, so something that, I mean, is kind of like, I mean, it's cliche and it's like a trope at this point is the, like a woman's quote unquote biological clock, you know, my like clock is ticking that phrase. Mm -hmm. And that's because, um, Women actually have like a set, like, I mean, really do have a set like fertility window, so to speak, um, because we're only born with a certain number of eggs. And um, as we like, basically every time you have a period that like indicates an ovulation cycle, I mean, unless you're like taking medicine, like to not ovulate, you know, like on birth control or whatever, and you're, you still have a cycle, but you don't uh, 
you don't necessarily ovulate, but um, so every time you ovulate, you you lose a one or two eggs, and um, or maybe more. Who knows? I don't know. <laughs> no one really knows. No one really knows. Um, so and then also you lose eggs that like um, kind of. Peter well, out. I'll get into that later. Anyway, <laughs> they peter out. Yeah, they peter out uh, because women are actually before they will have the most eggs they will ever have actually about like 20 weeks in utero so um that's even before before you're you're born born. and then when they are born they have the most eggs that they will ever have in their post-birth lives if you will at about 20 weeks of gestation in the female fetus you have six to seven million egg oocytes if you will not totally immature so then when you're born, you have one to two million oocytes. How many, let's see, how many sperm are in the, when a male ejaculates, like bajillion, right? Mm-hmm. 10 billion. That is a scientific term. 10 billion. Yeah. Oh, in pre-ejaculate. Man, Google is fun. <laughs> 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 you know, so, someone Googled sperm count in pre-ejaculate fluid, just, you know, wondering if they can get pregnant. 200 so, million, 200 million sperm is what I find. 100 mil? 200. Yeah. Oh, 200. I should According probably know that because when I did my REI rotation, I used to have to like look at sperm counts. According to the wonderful website, prostate.net. 100 million mm. sperm per milliliters, yes. And then about 10 million sperm pass through the cervical mucus and about 100 million make it to the top of the uterine tract. So that's pretty interesting. That's cray. Yeah. Um, so, and then by the time you get to puberty, you only have like 300,000 to 500,000. And this is a person who, you know, has a normal like ovarian tissue, normal ovarian kind of reserve. Because you can have different, I guess, conditions that would change that number or you might have like low, um, you know, just kind of start off at a baseline low. There's one thing... Mm-hmm. Um, like Turner syndrome is one uh, reason why you would have have fewer, which is a problem with your sex chromosomes. Yeah. Um. So anyway, so basically we say like after 35 is when uh, you're, well, really 32 is when your um, like fertility really st- kind of starts going down a lot more and then um, like much more rapidly after 37 years old. And that's approximately when ladies begin to be described by their doctors as being of advanced maternal age is what I've read. Yeah, you're actually advanced maternal age at 35. Mm -hmm. And that has more to do with the fact that, I mean, still technically you're within that window where we, you know, like I just said that your, you know, your fertility is going down. But the advanced maternal age mostly has more to do with like the risk of your pregnancy if you do become pregnant. Okay. Yeah. So, like, the risk that your fetus will have chromosomal abnormalities and all that jazz. Because your eggs ain't yeah. fresh anymore, apparently. Yeah, yeah. Not fresh. Not fresh. Not spring chickens. Right. Yep. Uh, so, anyway. So, this is kind of that, like, you know, like that bi- so-called biological clock. The, uh, what is that word where you say the, uh, I don't know. The What's that phrase? What? Biological clock is ticking? Clock no, is the uh, metaphorical biological clock or whatever. Anyway. Oh. Anyway. The um, infamous? I don't know. 
Yeah, so there's like lots of reasons, but there are also other reasons why uh, a female be, may become infertile besides just like her age. Um, I mean, there are like issues like things like PCOS, which we've talked about on this podcast before. That would be uh, polycystic. That would be poly, polycystic ovary syndrome. Right? Yeah, polycystic mm. ovarian syndrome, where basically you just don't ovulate. Mm. And I mean, that's like a hormonal reason. So in order to ovulate, basically, you have to be able to, we call it recruit a dominant follicle, which sounds really <laughs> so epic. <intense>. Yeah. <laughs> so basically, I mean, in every cycle, at the beginning of the cycle, um, the the eggs kind of start to mature, The fall, and we call them like follicles and they start to mature so that they can lead to ovulation and eventually one follicle will like become the dominant follicle and in order to like ovulate you have to have like uh increase in a certain hormone and so people the the speculation is with pcos you can't have that increase that you need in order to ovulate or you don't have it rather so the trigger is they can't ovulate and that's and you get oh go ahead oh i was just saying that's actually why you have cystic ovaries it's actually all those follicles that were like trying to be recruited but like never became a dominant follicle yeah that's what i was gonna say yeah yeah we're so smart yeah so um also dominant I, follicles is my new band name <laughs> there you go i like that one what kind of band is it is it punk sound i think it sounds punk or it could be a softball team it's a oh definitely <laughs> both things. Actually, I think that might be what my guy team is named now. I'm gonna tell them that on the dominant follicles. There you go. Yeah. Um. And then you can go recruit some dominant follicles for the team. Exactly. That's what I'm gonna call interview season. Recruiting <laughs> dominant, dominant follicles. <laughs> Who will we birth? Um. Yeah. So that's why you know. Uh. So the you know the one or two eggs that a woman ovulates as opposed to the 10 100 million sperm mm-hmm. that a man ejaculates uh so it kind of changes the odds a bit i think that really just proves the point that women just do things right the first time women i was men <laughs> have to do it 100 million times to get it right i was gonna say something to that effect like women are kind of <laughs> badass they only need one men we gotta throw everything we got at it and hope that one of them works yep yeah so and then what uh dave was alluding to earlier there are other reasons besides hormonal reasons i mean and there are some other hormonal reasons but i'm not gonna like i mean it can get long and boring so we don't want to bore you here we'll leave that (laughs) to it's not our goal not our goal right um there can be like structural reasons so we talked earlier about probably the more interesting structural reasons are like people who maybe their uterus didn't fully develop like all their hormones work nor you know as um normally but then um it, along the embryological process maybe they just like their uterus didn't develop fully so um that has a really long name that is slipping my mind right now it's like named it's after like three people Ryer something rocket or rokitansky hauser kubner some sh- i don't know yeah. i just say a bunch of names also you can if you've ever had like a history of infection in your uterus so like pelvic inflammatory disease um caused by you know gonorrhea or chlamydia or anything like that um that could 
that can cause, or if you've ever had any like kind of catastrophic process in your uterus, you could get um, something called Asherman syndrome, which is basically scar tissue in your uterus, which makes it so you like uh, can't, um, like your you uterine canal isn't open for yeah. implantation. Yeah, your uterine. And um, so mullerian agenesis is like the scientific name for what I was just talking about, not being able to. Uh, not having uterus fully developed. And then what you said, Mayer Rokitansky Kuster Hauser syndrome. So that's, yeah. that's easy to remember. Come on. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. You either, yeah, your tubes have to be patent. So we, that means open in order for an egg to pass through an implant in the uterus. And if they're not, um, well, you could end up with an ectopic pregnancy where the sperm actually like swims out and the egg implants like in your belly or in the tube. Or you just won't be able to become pregnant, which is both a bummer if you for either if you would desire fertility. And um, so, you know, and actually we t- use um, a special test to like test for if like the uterus structurally looks normal. It's called a histosalpingogram. And Kate, you did art. You didn't do art yet, right, Kate? No, I didn't. No, okay, I used to do these on my old rotation. They're actually fairly easy. So histo is refers to the uterus, right? Yep. Yes. Histo. And salpingo, whatever. I'm not sure what mm-hmm. that refers to. Does that refer to ovaries? Tubes. 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 All right. Mm-hmm. And then Graham. Picture. Is a picture. Right. Picture. I like. That just mean they take an X-ray of your or. A, an image yeah Yeah, okay yeah Mm -hmm. so basically we insert dye into the uterus we shoot dye into the uterus and take x-rays kind of like throughout time and watch the dyes hopefully spill into the abdomen okay it's kind of what you would like in the end yeah and it can also show you if there's things in the uterus. So like one back in the day, we talked about like didelphus or cor- bicornurate uteruses, which are like have a s- or septated. So the uterine cavity has either a septa in the middle of it or mm-hmm. a it has two. There's like two uteruses kind of. It's just like an abnormality of the malarian tract. Yeah. And it so, can also show polyps and fibroids and stuff, too on the inside Mm -hmm. yeah there it has somewhat limited utility but it's actually um it's pretty good for showing the structural i guess aspects of the uterus Mm -hmm. and then there's also unclassified female infertility which is very very frustrating but actually very common where that you actually can't really identify a reason means we don't know yeah and there are different treatments depending on the type of infertility you have. So, like, if you have anovulatory infertility, basically they start off by just having you take drugs, uh, medicines to stimulate your ovaries so that you do ovulate or also just, like, trying to regulate your cycle. And that can make you become pregnant. So this is, like, someone with PCOS. Um, they would take something, like, called clomiphen that's supposed to, like, regulate this. You know, it'll, like supposed to stimulate your ovaries to make you ovulate and this Um, is what people used to get so it can like overstimulate your ovaries this is like what people used to give when infertile when um like 
infertility doctors were just like kind of figuring everything out and that's why they would get like multiples like quads or greater was because they gave them like too much and then weren't like monitoring the number of eggs that were being released and stuff like that yeah so yeah and that's one thing that's i think maybe some people think that uh, the people or at least this is what i used to think before i knew um how it really happened is like the people who had like six or eight babies you know like the octomom or John and Kate Goslin, who had six babies, how they ended up. I thought, you know, people might think it's like IVF that that how that happened, but it's actually just their stim their ovaries. The person who was pregnant, their ovaries were overstimulated, and that's how they ended up with all those babies. Hmm. Mm-hmm. I guess I did think that. I guess I did think that they just implanted a f- several and hoped that they would all work or something like that. No, because. It doesn't make sense well, now that I think that, about but it. They only do it with two instead yeah. of like seven. Right. Yeah, they do. Th- and technically you can have twins, you know, like you can have splitting of eggs, but. Right. For turn- yeah, identical twins. Id- identical twins with IVF, but it's just n- not really hasn't. It's the same as had- the regular population. Yeah. The rates are. Yeah. Historically, they've done, they've, d- they used to like frequently do two eggs with IVF but um now more and more it's becoming more of a thing that people do one just because mm-hmm. it's safer and also still have like good success rates with IVF mm. even with just one yeah so basically as we've gotten better at it you have to use yeah. less to get a good result yeah and like actually like a lot of IVF places like won't do too unless it's like a very good like one egg is maybe not so great Mm -hmm. and then they'll do two but just because like i don't think the general population realizes like how risky actually a twin like they happen frequently you know you know tons of twins but a twin pregnancy actually is like fairly risky like it's a high-risk pregnancy so They just don't want to, like, intentionally cause a twin pregnancy, if that makes sense. Um, Yeah. So, and then, uh, as I mean, we were talking about IVF, which is kind of like the last treatment for fertility. I guess you could call um, gestational care is a last treatment, really, is that using... um, Oh, yeah, like a surrogate. A surrogate, yeah, is what um, to carry a twin and people can have donor eggs and they can have donor sperm um so all those things actually donor zygotes donor zygotes yep yeah people can use all of the above donors though i don't i always whenever i was on rei i would always ask myself this question like would i be okay with that like would i be okay with like donating my eggs or like donating my zygote i don't know that would feel weird to me i think for me personally so at iowa in order to do that you have this is like actually where I do have some experience because on women's wellness we had to if you use a donor sperm eggs or zygote or if you want to donate those things you have to meet with a psychologist and have to like go through this like really long consent process that basically like you get asked a bunch of well you get like asked like a complete health and mental health history because if you're donating like obviously if that child like wants to know their health history then it's like available to them even if and then you can like say like do you want to release to the 
recipients, like your health history, your mental health history, your name, like whatever, like you have the option to like do all of those things. Yeah. And like you can like pick and choose what you want. Interesting. Yeah, totally. And you also have access to legal counsel too. Yeah. I um, definitely don't think I would uh, want to, um, dis- if I was donating, probably disclose to the person who I was. I mean, obviously my health information, but like disclose to the person who I was. Mm-hmm. Just because it would feel more like they were, you know, like they were your kid. I don't know. I think it'd be harder. Yeah. Yeah. I always Um, have a, I, I think about this too. When sometimes you'll see on Facebook, have you ever seen these where like people are like, I was adopted from this place. mm -hmm. Like, can you help me find my parents? And like, I think, I mean, I definitely like empathize with the people who are like, just want to know or sympathize rather with the people who just like want to know things whatever it is they want yeah want to know about their roots or their family and stuff but i also feel like that that person who like put you you know your biological parent has the right to not be known if they don't want to be known Mm -hmm. you know and so and even though they are technically your biological parent you don't really have the right to like out them and find them if they don't want to be found you know anyway i agree but yeah it just is kind of a bad situation but anyway Besides, anyway, so you can, we also skipped over one step of the process talking about infertility is you can actually do something called IUI, which um, is the proverbial (laughs) turkey baster method. (laughs) (laughs) So that's just where you like literally just, you increase your odds by, you basically stimulate the ovaries and then bring the woman in on the day where she should have ovulated. And then you inject sperm basically directly into your uterus to just like increase the odds of sperm meeting egg. Yeah, because I think I think I my understanding is that the vagina is somewhat hostile to sperm. Am I am I correct? I mean, well, we talked about earlier that like a man ejaculates about 100 million sperm, right? 200. Mm-hmm. 200, 200 million sperm. About 10 million make it to the top of the uterus. Right. So that's a pretty good rate of decline. And so this is used a lot for like male factor infertility. Yeah. Like if your swimmers don't swim. Yeah. If your swimmers don't swim. I mean, and male factors, it's like on beast. Like there can be lots of like you could have like a lot of dead sperm in your ejaculate. Mm -hmm. You could have just few sperm in your ejaculate. You could have confused sperm in your ejaculate. (laughs) Confused (laughs) sperm. So what are we here for? Who, who, yeah. put, who put me here? Where are we I was, to swim? That's like me. I was pretty in, comfortable where I was. That's me on labor and delivery. Which way yes, am I supposed yes. to swim? <laughs> I'm a confused sperm. So, and then also for like people who just use sperm donors, maybe if they're like a same sex couple or um, just they need to use a sperm donor for whatever reason. So, that's usually comes before like IVF. So, usually. I mean, it really depends on the type of infertility because like, for instance, if your tubes are totally blocked, IUIs aren't going to work for you, you know, Mm -hmm. because there's no egg that's going to be able to come through your tubes. Right. So usually those people have to go to IVF. Mm -hmm. But it's like, so for tubal ligations, now we don't do them anymore. We actually do salpingectomies, which... You remove the entire tube because it's like a less, 
there's like a small risk of cancer arising from them. And so it like erases that risk. And if you're not going to use them anyway, then like you don't really need them. So like you really have to like make sure you counsel patients that it is irreversible because like people used to like, I mean, tubal ligations are irreversible, quote unquote before, but like you could get them reversed. Like you could either like if you cut the tube, you could like just put the two ends together or if you like had a clip you could just like remove the clip or like whatever but now you have to like make sure that patients know that it actually is irreversible but you still can become pregnant if you use IVF that's like really important to tell them like if you do want to have a future pregnancy like you would have to use IVF so just make sure you know what you're doing I wasn't aware that they didn't do tubal ligations anymore or that's less common it really depends what the person wants usually um, the thing about, I feel like the two, I've had to actually have the tubal ligation talk this week, which was like a little bit more Sames. than I was prepared to have. But, um, the problem is because there are so many stories out there of people getting pregnant when they have tubal ligations and like you ha- also, and there are stories of people getting their tubal ligations reversed and there are stories of like, um, and then we have to tell them that a tubal ligation isn't a hundred percent effective. So right. it kind of like blunts me saying you have to consider this irreversible you know what i mean when i have to disclose all those things to people because sometimes and then sometimes people just i don't know maybe don't take the weight of it that not saying they don't take it seriously but it is kind of hard to believe with all of those Mm -hmm. like changing factors yeah well and it's like so strange because the nexplanon and the iud's are more effective than female ser- like sterilization so like yeah. less people get pregnant with an iud than who had a tubal ligation which is just strange yeah, that is strange. yeah. yeah. Huh. and it's kind of interesting because like the the data shows us that like people who have had a tubal ligation or some sort of like sterilization procedure before the age of 30 have like high risks of regret mm-hmm which is also another thing that you have to like tell people who want to have tubals early early because and I feel like it's one of these things that people like who were to say like oh you you're just trying to tell women what to do with their bodies and actually like no I'm just telling you the facts of that like our data shows you that people before the age of 30 regret having these procedures Mm -hmm. I'm not saying that you're gonna regret it but like people regret it most people do in fact so but nobody can believe in their it's rare that someone can believe that they'll ever regret it which i mean well people so i think is understandable people are extraordinarily bad at estimating risks mm-hmm. and yeah. especially risks to themselves um, yeah. I think this is a, a especially true for Americans. You think it's true for just America? I mean, not just Americans, but I think it is. Especially, like there have been studies that show that like Americans confidence is like way out proportion to their actual like <laughs> abilities. <laughs> abilities. I guess that. And like, yeah. I just feel like in America, it's a cultural thing to like not believe that bad things are going to happen to you. Hmm. Yeah. Maybe it has to do with so, the whole rugged individualism thing that Americans have going. Like, you know, the, yeah. I am different from other people. I am special. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But so, yeah, it's just kind of hard to. And I mean, in the end, people are going to do what they're going to do. And you can only advise them the best you yep. can. But anyway, and that's life. Yep. Yep. Especially life. Boundaries, man. Especially life as a doctor. I mean, that that's true. Yep. That's true of so many different kinds of of medicine. I would imagine is you know you tell people the data you have, some, and a lot of times they don't listen. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
And most I mean, of the time they don't listen. Sometimes it's yeah. Most just of kidding. Time. I'm disillusioned right now. <laughs> I mean, it's just that like day seven complete disillusionment complete. I think it's just true that most. I mean, in today's day and age, very few people come in with a blank slate. You know, mm-hmm. like they don't. They already have opinions about based on like what their friends say or what they saw on TV or what they read on the internet, and so it it's just really hard to change someone's mind in general. And so if you're not like coming in with an open mind, I think that's what makes it difficult. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like, and that's true for like everything. Like if I go into, I don't know, like financial trying to think of something I don't know much about, like a car shop or yeah. And I like feel like I need this. I don't know. Someone told me, Oh, like this sounds like it's broken. I'm going to be like, oh, I need this done. Like, this is something I need to have fixed. Mm -hmm. Or if someone says, oh, that's probably fine. You probably don't need to do anything with that car part or whatever. I'm going to be like, are you sure? Even though I'm like talking to an expert about what I need to do to my car. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So and I think it just anyway. But I digress. (laughs) Um. So, and I mean, it's like human nature, I think, but But I feel like the medical medical profession in particular is, has become under like that, like mindset in the past like 20 years. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, shared decision making is important, but also sometimes it's like not fair to like expect a patient to really decide between two options you know what i mean like it's not fair to be like hey i'm just gonna present you with the differences and right and i've been training for four years to appreciate the nuances of the differences (sighs) between these two things and now i'm just expecting you to decide in like 30 minutes what you want to do but it's like not it's also not like it's like we're presenting them with two options that they can choose between but then there's this hidden third option that they know about but like are misinformed about that's not really an option and like you don't have all the information you know it's like it's not a fair fight like not a fair decision (sighs) yeah so we talked earlier about women who are electively choosing to freeze their eggs and um they why and you may ask yourself why do you do that and i mean usually so i don't know if you've heard of these like in silicon valley the um workplace benefits or whatever perks that some places are offering for their female workers to like freeze their eggs. Mm -hmm. So that's, um, I mean, and the idea is so that like the kind of prime childbearing years for women is like also when like the prime career building years are. Yeah. And so that they can, so this is like the idea that they can build their career, but also not have to give up the idea of having a family in their later life. And so that's kind of like why some people would choose to freeze their eggs. I mean, there are also another other reasons, like someone who go through cancer treatments um, would want to freeze their eggs because the treatment that they have will like maybe kill their ability to, um, you know, like basically just basically kill their, kill their ovaries. ovaries. Yeah, kill their ovaries. Um, or women who have like naturally a lower ovarian reserve and so basically freezing eggs just basically takes your eggs and freezes them at exactly what it is it freezes them at the age they are so you know you could freeze your eggs in your 20s and then come back when you're like 37 and technically you know your egg is still like young (laughs) 
it's not you know old like we talked about earlier and busted um you'd also you'd still be i mean you'd have to go through ivf obviously to become pregnant but you at least would know that you'd have a chance of becoming pregnant but also you have the first part of ivf over with already that is true which is the ovarian stimulation the worst part. part yeah um uh the egg harvesting is what people say is the worst part but which i have seen it's kind of interesting same yeah but um and you know like some women like i mean if you even tried it let's say you aren't able to come pregnant you're older like you're above 37 you're like maybe like 39 or whatever and you haven't been able to be pregnant and oh, I forgot to mention earlier that if usually we say if you haven't been able to be pregnant in a year, that's when you should seek like evaluation for your infertility. Mm. But um, and you're not using unless you're like AMA, then we say six months is when you should. But um, and that's of like re- we call it regular intercourse, which when I was in REI, that was always like uh, awkward. Like, do you have regular intercourse? <laughs> Um, so for intercourse frequently enough that you could become pregnant and you have an 80, 80% chance, I think 85% chance of becoming pregnant in a year. Um, if everything is going according to plans. So you might go in, you know, if you're older, like 39, 40, whatever, not having not been able to get pregnant and you might go in and be like, end up having to do IVF, but they might not be able to stimulate your ovaries. So enough to get eggs that are like going to be basically make viable fetuses. So because people can go through like IVF, you know, cycles of like harvesting and fertilization and just not have viable embryos really. Mm -hmm. So which is not they like grade the embryos that they fertilize with like an A, B, C, D sort of. Yeah. So I got to see. You're going to see. Yeah. I think so anyway. an A plus embryo, actually. Wow. So. Clearly. An A plus. Clearly. A plus mm-hmm. plus. We're the winners of our, you know. That's my blood type, actually. <laughs> A plus. <laughs> so it's true. That's convenient. I know. Um. Anyway, so they... Uh, um, oh my gosh, my brain. So anyway, you can freeze your eggs and... <laughs> Though the ASRM, the uh, American, American Society of Reproductive Medicine, uh, doesn't actually recommend uh, freezing your eggs, routine freezing your eggs for just like staving off female age fertility decline. So that means, and it's not saying they're like, oh no, that's a bad thing. It's just saying like th- there's not enough benefit for this to be routine for people. Right. Like it's not enough. It's, it's like, not better than the alternative. Right. And like something that things that are recommended for instance are like pap smears or colonoscopies where whenever someone comes in we're like hey you need to get a you know if you're over 50 you need to get a colonoscopy if you're um you know over over 21 you need to get a pap smear so that's one thing though so but it's still not like i mean it's still something that's acceptable and insurances are covering more and more actually Mm mm-hmm so, I mean, there's a lot to female infertility, but that's uh, that's kind of the gist of it. I've read that very few women who freeze their eggs actually use them. This is a survey of 232 women who froze their eggs at a clinic to delay childbearing. 90 for, 95% of these women still had not used their eggs um, 
in, you know, at least three years later, three to whatever, three to six years later. Yeah. I mean, I don't think three years, though, is enough time, really. I don't think so no? either. Okay. I'd say I mean, because just think how long it takes realistic. most people to, like, find someone that they like and then also the amount of time you um would want to uh wait before you had a child with this person well and also three years from now like so i'm 27 three years from now i'll be 30 so i can still have a baby regular like normally yeah you know i'm not at risk here's another um statistic that might argue that in fact people don't use frozen eggs as much as they freeze them i'm sure they don't I'm just saying that three years. Right. I mean, because you just really don't know what's going to happen in your life, right? Well, since freezing eggs uh, was fir- first became a thing in like 1986. Um, since mm-hmm. then, only about 5,000 babies have been born from frozen eggs worldwide. Although that statistic is a little fuzzy. We don't know exactly how many babies have been born from frozen eggs. But so, I mean, that's that's an interesting statistic i think it's a thing you can do yeah. but a lot of people just don't seem to take advantage of it once they have actually yeah. done it mm-hmm. anyway well all right um yeah so so i i, I wanted to point out this story that i read um about the differing interests women and men have when they're dating online so uh, a study uh, from Queensland University of Technology in uh, Australia, sure, Australia, on sex differences in <laughs> educational preferences, uh, researchers reviewed the contacts, their dating, online dating contacts of about 42,000 people from 18 to 80 years old. And by the way, love the idea of 80 year old grandma looking for dates online. I love that. Um this is from a, these are people who use the online dating website called RSVP. So across all these age groups, 18 to 80, women are more likely than men to state a preference for education. Uh, women in peak fertility are more picky about the education level of men they prefer, seeking the same level or higher of a potential mate. And over 40, men become more picky than women about the education level of their partner. But before that, they don't seem to much care. Um, hmm. there, this confirms, uh, previous studies that looked at narrower ranges. Um, and, and, uh, it's also interesting that they're able to, um, now with this larger study, uh, show changes in preferences across the reproductive cycle. I have personally, I've always thought education is pretty sexy, but, uh, does that, does that surprise you? Does that not surprise you? I don't think it just surprises me. I don't think it surprises me really that much. Ladies are... Because if you think about, like, historically, like, most, most men are in relationships with women who are less educated because men have more opportunities for education than women, so it's like a cultural value. But now that that's less the case... Yeah. Um, I mean, culture doesn't really die that quickly, though. Like, if... mm -hmm. Because if, you know, in the past, women were told, like, you need to find someone who's going to provide for you. How do you find someone who provides for you? Yeah. You know, someone who's educated. So I think it's still part of our kind of social DNA at this point. I agree. My Philippine file is... So I was watching 90 Day Fiance (laughs) from TLC. I don't watch it regularly anymore, uh-huh. but um, 
basically this woman. That's because you need a DVR um, she had a now. miscarriage. She was from Brazil. She was talking about how sad she was because she had a miscarriage, which obviously that's really sad sure. and feel really bad for her. And but she was saying how she had um, she she it seems like she was a little there's a misunderstanding between her and her doctor because she said the doctor told me that because I have negative blood I have to get a shot and then she felt she thought that that was the reason why she had a miscarriage Aww. yeah she had negative um, blood which um so this fallopian file is more of just a plug that um unless you're already sensitized to the R plus you know the Antibody and you have a antibody against that. You, that is not the reason why you miscarried, but you do need a shot just to prevent that sensitization. So yeah, I feel bad for her that she thought that that was the reason why she had a miscarriage and not just that she needed to have a shot just to prevent, prevent the, future. the future of that. Yeah. Also, see our episode about the man with the golden arm because we talked mm-hmm. about that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, my fallopian file is the only piece of outside media that I've consumed this week. Um, when I wasn't working, <laughs> and that is Queer Eye on Netflix. Woo, that's it's amazing. I hear more and more about this. It's lately. so good. I gotta. You need to I watch gotta, it. I gotta check like, in. Makes me believe in humanity again. Yeah. What's what's it's so what's good. nice about it? I think from from what I've been hearing, what's nice about it is that its message is so positive. Mm-hmm. Um, in reality television, reality television is not known for its positive positivity. It's yeah. true, yeah. and um, they, you know, I feel like it's it just shouldn't be this hard to find topics and subjects and ways of telling stories on reality TV that isn't that is positive, but it just seems to be something that you know just do, isn't explored all that much. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So so good for them. First the the first one, I was a big fan of the first one uh, back in the. Yeah, I didn't watch back the in the day. One. The OG. Yeah. I remember when it was on, but I didn't watch it because I was like in middle school, maybe. Oh Jesus mm-hmm. Christ! Yeah, we were people. young. All right. Well, I'm. I'll make sure that my my it's is it is it still uh, it always it struck me it strikes me that the original was uh, probably pretty child friendly, uh, at least for for people my children's age. Probably. Uh, does it does it strike you that way? Yeah. I probably could have watched yeah. it. I, I probably wasn't allowed to watch it because you know my family's super. Yeah. yeah. So. I think uh, I think my family would would probably enjoy it. So maybe I'll. Yeah, you yeah. guys should watch it together. Turn them on. Uh, my my fallopian file needs really no plug. I think, um, which is uh, so my my son has rediscovered the or has discovered for himself the office. Uh, apparently his friends were talking about it and uh, so he's begun so he's begun <laughs> that makes me laugh right? uh, that's like the Seinfeld of yeah, the next that's generation. what I was going to say that's like us watching Seinfeld yeah. yeah so he's been watching it lately and I've been sort of you know catching up with him and it's so good it's still so good that's awesome so good. anyway that's what I got for you Ugh. all, all right. right well you guys good talk good talk friends it was good TTYL. Good. See you next time. Talk to you next time. Thanks for listening. Thanks for caring.